Let's pray. Father, Lord, you are awesome. Lord, we just rejoice and we praise your name for the fruit that's being born um, in our congregation, and especially in, uh, in Carroll County, Oak Ridge North. God, please let your word go out powerfully from us into our community, Lord. Let us love the people around us, Lord, enough to share your good news. Lord, now let us prepare our hearts to receive your word, to worship you, continue to worship you by receiving your word, to fellowship with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Dave Ferguson. I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge. Welcome. If you're here in the gathering place, glad you're here with us. If you're with us on Zoom, hi. Glad you guys are with us too. I was on Zoom last week. It's always good to see the folks that are, that are joining us online. If you're checking out this message through our um, online resources, oakridgecc.org, at resources and messages, you can look up our message catalog if you've missed anything. Feel free to check that out for the future. Um, our current series is Kingdoms in Conflict, a biblical response to today's most divisive issues. Okay. On helps. There we go. All right. So the current, the, our current series is Kingdoms in Conflict. Today's topic is sexuality. So why this series and why this topic? You know, are we looking for a fight you know, are we, is this an exercise in self-righteousness where the pastors and the teaching team get to tell you what we think and you don't have a chance to respond? Is, am I just a bigot looking to impose my own sense of personal morality on other people? Well, thankfully, the answer to those questions is no to each of those questions. The why is pretty simple, actually. As pastors, as members of the teaching team, we share these principles, these, this series and this message in particular, because we love God. We love Jesus Christ. We desire to experience his blessings in our life, and we desire to see others experience his love. We desire to see you experience his love. We desire to see the people in our lives, friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. We desire to see them know him and experience his blessings in their life. So let's get into it. Where, do the kingdom, where does the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world conflict in the area of sexuality? God's word says that sexual expression is intended for a married man and a woman. The world says you ought to determine your own sexual preferences. God's Word says that sexual expression, according to His design, leads to physical and emotional health. The world says that sexual expression is primarily about your own personal fulfillment. God's Word says that sexual expression it's part of marriage, and that marriage itself is an amazing analogy of Christ's relationship to the church. The world says, bluntly, there is no God. Or if there is a God, he'd never be so rude as to disagree with your personal opinion. So my goal is to show why God's way is better. And to do that, I'm going to use five building blocks that allow us to understand the wisdom of God's kingdom. 
the first building block. We're going to go through them in summary here, then we're going to go through in more detail as, as, as the message progresses. The first building block is we honor God's truth as seen in His Word. Psalm 119, verse 38 says, your, Establish your word, Lord, is that which produces reverence for you. His word, exposing ourselves, meditating, reading, it produces reverence for him. That is the source for our life. The second principle is we need to be instructed in the way of righteousness. 1 Timothy 2, 14, briefly, and it says, Remind them and diligently present the word of truth. My job, our job as pastors, our job to one another as believers in Jesus Christ is to present the word of truth to one another, to instruct one another in God's truth. Three, the third building block, we warn of error. Ephesians 5.11 says, again, briefly, expose the deeds of darkness. Because we live in a fallen world, because I have a sinful nature that I'm still dealing with, and you have a sinful nature that you're still dealing with, error must be pointed out. The deeds of darkness must be exposed, not with the purpose of hammering people flat, but for the purpose of repentance and restoration. Fourth, we understand that forgiveness and restoration are the purpose. It's the purpose that we share these principles. It's the purpose of our life. It's, it's, it's to allow people to experience forgiveness and restoration in Jesus Christ. Galatians 6 1 says, If anyone's caught, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. And last but not least, of course, proclaim Christ. All these things, all these things build to the idea that we, our mission, one of our most important missions is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.28 says, we labor, we labor so that we can present every person complete in Christ. Each of these blocks is necessary. This entire progression must take place in order for us to be prepared to affirm and live in God's kingdom. So let's apply this progression to the extremely relevant topic of sexuality. We'll start at the beginning. God has a plan and an intention for sex. His design is practical. The Lord God said, Genesis 2, 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed it up, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We've covered these passages before several times, I think, this year, so I won't belabor the point. God established marriage and sex between a man and a woman, and it was a good thing. A very good thing. Second point I want to make on this is God's design for sex and marriage. There's a mysterious element to it that's worth meditating on. I'm going to read, read this passage, Ephesians chapter 5. 
Verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, I'm not going to go exactly where you think I'm going to go with this passage. This is not necessarily a focus on the roles of husbands in marriage. Rather, this is a glimpse of how God views marriage and how He uses marriage to illustrate Christ's relationship to the church. He says Jesus is going to present her to him as a radiant church, her being the church. Let's look at the language used that paints an amazing and astounding picture of Christ's intention for his bride. It says at the end of that passage, to present her to himself as an indoxos church, radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Indoxos, glorious splendor, honorable. Christ has amazing things in store for his church. And in Doxos Church, in Doxos, in Christ, as a gathering, as a local body, we are in Doxos, intended for honor, intended for splendor. The entire church throughout history in Doxos, splendorous, To me, the analogy is this. Sex is pure and blameless within the institution of marriage. Within the institution of marriage, everything is pure and blameless. And sex is pure and blameless within the institution of marriage. This passage goes on to say, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay, so it's an intimidating command to husbands. Making my wife in doxos, radiant, splendorous, honorable. It's beyond me. But Christ is able to honor his bride in this way. There's a hint of something awesome in the eternal principles that are displayed here. It shows me that marriage and the sanctity of sex within marriage is something that is beyond my normal desires for physical gratification, emotional fulfillment, or even exertion of my civil rights. It's beyond that. It's emblematic of something way beyond that. The glorious image continues. Revelation 22, 17. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, let the one who's thirsty come, and let he who wishes to take the water of life without cost. This is the analogy. This is the picture. This is what marriage is pointing at. A unity and a glory with one another as a body, husband and wife together, as a, bo- as a local body, with the church eternity. A unity and a glory that we can barely comprehend. The truth is, the truth is the world has nothing to compare to this vision of glory, of what marriage and sex are intended for. Way beyond our petty desires 
for physical pleasure or personal autonomy. I urge you, those of you who are married, those of you who value marriage, those of you who are hoping to be married, don't settle for anything less than this vision that God paints for His church, the purity of the relationship, the intentionality of the physical relationship between a man and his wife. Don't settle for anything less than that. Set your vision high. Okay, point one, building block one. So because we live in a fallen world, we need the rest of these building blocks. We can't just set our vision high and, and put it on cruise control because life happens. I happen to myself oftentimes. So the next, we have instructions in righteousness. God's commands and his principles. Instructions can be offered as negative commands or positive commands. So here's an instruction phrased as a negative command. The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Really plain. Seventh commandment, David, do not commit adultery. Saints, do not commit adultery. We're commanded not to do this. It's a very simple command. To be faithful to your spouse, to be faithful to God, to respect your body and hold it apart for the, the spouse that God may have for you one day. This is a very, it's a very direct command to our actions, but of course we also know that Jesus expanded this command to include our words, our eyes, our heart, our mind, and our intentions. Tall order. It's all-encompassing. There's many commands that are phrased in a positive way in the Scripture. Could have picked a lot of things. We could be here all day if we went through them, we went through them all. I picked this one verse in 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5 because of its practicality. Let me read it. Positive command. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, yields it to his wife. Do not deprive one another except by mutual consent four times that you may devote yourselves to each other. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The man does not have authority over his own body. There's a countercultural thought for you. As those of us who are married, two, there's two applications, one for married and one for those who are not yet married. If, for those of us who are married, this belongs to her. And hers belongs to me. And we yield that to one another out of honor for Lord, out of honor for marriage, out of love and affection for one another. The application for those of us who are not married is this doesn't belong to you in the sexual realm right now. It's not yours to give to whoever you want. It belongs either to the Lord, if you never marry, or it belongs to your future spouse. 
And you can't give away something that belongs to somebody else. That's not called borrowing. You can't give away something that belongs to something else. Tall order, I know. Tall order, I know. But it is worth it. It is health. It is life. Now, practically speaking, I know, again, we live in a fallen world. I'm a flawed person. If there's barriers that exist between me and my wife, if there's barriers that exist between you and your spouse, seek help. Seek encouragement. Seek the Lord. Seek your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are here for one another. In gentleness and humility, we can serve and help and encourage one another in an appropriate way. I'm not saying you've got to go spill your inmost secrets to every person or some random person, but there are those in your family, those in this church that know you and love you and are willing to help, willing to help and offer a word of encouragement, help, refreshment, forgiveness. There is a source of help. You are not alone. Okay, here's a tough one. Third building block, a warning against error. Who here likes to be the bearer of bad news? Few of us. No one raised their hand. I'm almost sorry. Marty? No? Sorry. But what if your bad news saves lives? What if someone says, you know, your house is on fire? Then I want to hear it. I don't want to really hear it, but I definitely want to hear it. You know what I mean. Warnings against error, the consequences of our sin. Here's a basic warning. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Hebrews 13:4. God will judge. Don't judge me, bro. Am I right? That's what the culture says. You may not judge, but God will judge sin. So speaking of judgment, let's take a look at every skeptic's favorite Old Testament passage, the judgment of Sodom. And again, before you assume the point I'm going to make, listen to me carefully for a few moments. I'd like to talk about what this passage says, what it reveals about the true motives of our fallen nature, the true motives of our fallen nature, not our outward actions, but our motives. But a little context. So, Old Testament, Abram and Lot traveled from afar, wandered in the, in the land of Canaan. They chose places to live. Abraham chose wisely. Lot chose poorly. Things went well for Abraham and poorly for Lot. God came to judge Sodom in the form of a group of angels. And Abraham pleaded for mercy to God. Abraham pleaded for mercy. Good model for us. We plead for mercy. We don't hammer and condemn. The angels, God himself, granted Abraham's request and then went to Lot's house to find him. And this is where the verse picks up. Genesis 19.4. Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. So it's Lot in his house with his family, with the angels of God. 
They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Brave Lot, right? Good Lot. Look, Lot says, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do whatever you like to them. Bad Lot. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner. And now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. This man, the foreigner, they're talking, they're screaming at Lot now. They're not screaming at these angels. The angels of God, a theophany of God, is standing there and they don't even recognize him. They're screaming at Lot. What my question to you this morning is, what did the Sodomites want? Physical gratification? Personal fulfillment? Affirmation of their civil rights? They controlled the town. No, they wanted approval. They were outraged at the sense that they were being judged by Lot who was a thoroughly compromised and weak individual in this setting. These men of Lot, they knew they were guilty, and they resorted to violence rather than reason. Does that sound familiar for our culture? Lashing out, vengeance, exertion of power. Their rebellion fueled their immorality. Rebellion is the greater sin. It twists, it deceives, it makes us meaner and smaller. It blinds us to the very presence of God. They couldn't see the angels of God. They couldn't sense them right in front of them. All they saw was men and fresh meat. It's sobering. It's a sobering picture of what sin does to us. Of course, we can rebel in other areas other than sexual morality, but immorality has widespread effects, including abortion, the scourge of the last 50 years, tens of millions of innocent babies murdered because they're unwanted products of casual sex in the vast majority of the cases. I'll say this. There's a lot of things facing us today as a country, as a nation, as individuals. Abortion is the most important moral issue facing our nation today. Abortion. We are blind to it. We are dead to it. It doesn't make the radar. It's not talked about on the news. 40, 50, 60 million murdered babies. It's the most important thing facing our nation today. No other, no other issue comes close. No other issue comes close. Other consequences of immorality is disease, sexually transmitted disease. Emotional trauma, not broken hearts because you're not followed back on Facebook or Instagram. Or you don't have, the, you don't have a date to the prom, but shattered lives because of relationships that are torn apart or people that are forcing themselves on other people, the unwanted attention, 
social disintegration. We are tearing ourselves apart as a nation, as communities, as families over this issue. And finally, denial of truth, deception, rebellion, immorality causes deception. Our culture is getting to the point where it denies the fact there's such a thing as gender. And if you say there's such a thing as gender, you can be chased off the public stage, out of your job, bank accounts closed. That is an advanced state of cultural decay when, when the concept of gender cannot be affirmed. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of your body, for the sake of our culture, do not allow the world to impose its definition of sexual morality on you and your family, this church, this community, and this nation. Do not allow it. You are morally free. You have a choice that you can make. You are responsible for the choices that you make. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose. Let's just take a brief moment here and pray. If there's something you want to say to the Lord, I encourage you to do it. I'll just, I'll just wait for a few moments. Father, you are holy, you are righteous, you are good. We need you. We plead for ourselves, our families, in this nation, God. Have mercy on us. For the sake of a few righteous people, spare us, God. I know I'm running long, but I'm going to finish. Fourth building block, forgiveness. How about if we turn the corner on this conversation? Forgiveness and restoration are a necessary part of our message. Hope must be offered. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Gentleness. Humility. Being mindful of your own flesh and your own weaknesses and your own failures. Helping one another, carrying one another's burdens. Again, if anyone's caused grief, he's not done so much. He's not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him or her so that he or she will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him or her. Reaffirm verbally in action and thoughts and intention, including them, not shunning. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. He's not a tyrant. The point of warning that we can be so passionate about, the point is repentance, restoration, and moving forward. We've also covered in, in the past Jesus, his, his candid treatment of sexual immorality, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery in the public square. He stated the truth. He offered forgiveness. And then you know what? He put those restored to work, building his kingdom. That's his plan. We should imitate it. He wasn't shocked by immorality. He wasn't prudish about what he talked about, and neither should you be.
Forgiveness and restoration are necessary part of our message as believers. In fact, our message is incomplete without them. If you're not talking about the hope and restoration, the forgiveness, the freedom, the healing that comes from Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, if you're not talking about that, if you leave that part off, then you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's got to be an integral part of, of your message. The awesome picture of a tree stump that's it's, uh, it's, uh, it's sprouting fresh green leaves. So what's the point of these building blocks, this progression? To win arguments, influence politics, fight injustice? Nope, nope, and nope. Even if you disagree with me about some of these points, or some of the points you think I'm making, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your primary mission in life is to share the good news of salvation with the people around you. You need to go through this entire process. You need to go through this entire process to get to the point where you can share with integrity, with healing, with hope, with power to the people around you. This entire process builds to the proclamation of the gospel. Colossians 1.28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Through the gospel, we are instructed and warned. Through the Holy Spirit, we are healed. Thank God. As we are healed, we have to wait for that process to be finished, but as we are healed, we are equipped to proclaim a message of forgiveness and salvation and healing to other people so that they may be saved and so that they may be healed. So his kingdom can be built. At the beginning, we talked about the tension between the two kingdoms. Throughout my message, I've sought to highlight the different outcomes of the opposing kingdoms. Rebellion of sexual immorality leads to personal and social strife, brokenness, broken hearts, the moral horror of abortion. The exertion of autonomy leads not to freedom, but to slavery. Slavery to negative habits, damaged relationships, broken bodies. It's no coincidence that every promise made by the world is a lie. It's a lie spoken by the father of lies, Satan. Surely ye shall not die, said the serpent. By contrast, submission to God's kingdom leads to peace, pleasure, and a vision of eternity that's worthy of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. A few final thoughts. You've had a question, to, you've had a chance to ask us questions. We've invited your questions from the audience during this series. No one's asking any questions. So I'm going to ask you some questions since you haven't asked us any questions. And this is going to be homework for you, and I'm not going to answer these questions this morning. The band's probably very happy for that because we need to get things moving here. But the questions are, are you honoring God? in your sexual actions, thoughts, and words. Are you? Two, can a Christian persist in sexual immorality? And three, what have you done personally to love someone who's trapped in sexual sin or wounded by sexual sin? What have you done? What are you doing? What can you do? 
I hope that these questions bite a little bit. I hope you'll ask them of yourself and then take those answers to the Lord and then take them to your friends and neighbors. Again, if you need help, if you need encouragement, do not hesitate to reach out to me, the other pastors, those who know you best and love you most. Ask for help, encouragement. We are here with open hearts. The forgiveness and the power of of Christ as we are able to share it. We want that for you. Ask for help and encouragement. Let's pray. God, you're holy, you're righteous, you're powerful, you are awesome. Thank you so much for the vision of eternity and marriage. We can, I can barely comprehend it. I know I don't understand the depths of it, but I'm so grateful you've called us to purity. I'm so grateful you've called us to be salt and light in a dark world. God, have mercy on me, have mercy on us, have mercy on our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.